0: So I'm going to start in chapter 28, but I want to to set it up a little bit by um, by kind of showing you what's next. Because actually knowing what's coming next is going to be an important part of understanding the section that we're going to look at now. So uh, in 28 through 35, we have a continuation of a number of, of woes. And if you read it, even in your English Bible, you'll see it woe unto, woe unto, and it kind of, I'll break it down a little further in a minute, but um, but there's a continuation of the woes, and then, and then what happens um, near the end of it is there's kind of, it kind of has this crescendo effect, and so by the time you get to 35, you realize that actually these woes are all pointing to important things, and God is going to save his people, and they need to trust in him in the midst of that. Then... When you get to chapter 36 and following, 36 through 39, it's this historical uh, narration. It it, it it almost feels like an abrupt break, because you've been doing all these woes for all these chapters, and then all of a sudden you have this a story, and it's a story of Hezekiah, the king. Now, one of the things that's um, important to note about this story is that it, in some ways, is a repeat. Or, or, or there are aspects of it that are a repeat of what we've already seen early in the in the book. Remember when the Lord uh, sends Isaiah to Ahab and uh, Ahaz, and he and Ahaz is um, challenged not to worry about the enemies on the north. In fact, the Lord says, "Ask me for a sign, and I'll give it to you." Don't you don't have to worry about these enemies. And he says, "I'm not going to ask for a sign." And the Lord said. going to give you a sign, and that's when we have this prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah chapter 7. So Ahaz has already proven himself, and we know this from Isaiah, but we also know this from Kings. Ahaz has already proven that he does not trust the Lord, and even though the Lord protects him, and actually Ahaz has has a relatively peaceful reign, nonetheless what's clear is in his heart he doesn't trust the Lord, so that when he's faced with these challenges, which actually don't amount to a lot in Ahaz's time, when he's faced with these challenges, he's not going to look to the Lord. He's not going to look to God's word. Instead, he's going to look to his own human alliances and other things like that. So in a sense, we've are the, the, the jury has already ruled on Ahaz. We know what kind of king he is. Plus, we know from the book of Kings that Ahaz was ungodly in other ways as well, in terms of his embrace of idolatry. Okay. Hezekiah, this is the interesting thing, that happens at a particular location in Jerusalem. You can go back and look at it this afternoon, at a particular location in Jerusalem uh, in Isaiah 7. When Hezekiah is introduced, Isaiah comes to the exact same location, and Isaiah confronts him with the same kind of issue. He says, basically, Hezekiah, look, Sennacherib is coming down, he's going to surround the city, but... You need to trust the Lord in the midst of this. So Hezekiah actually faces a greater military challenge than Ahaz at the exact same place as Ahaz. And what we'll see, and and I don't want to sort of steal the thunder of of this section, but what we'll see is that Hezekiah, unlike Ahaz, actually trusts the Lord. And one of the most vivid, actually one of my my favorite pictures in, in the scriptures, and certainly in this book, is when Hezekiah receives this message, this letter, it's a threatening letter uh, that, that threatens military conquest against them. And it's pretty serious and it's pretty, you know, severe. And, and the first thing he does is he goes in and he lays the letter out and he, hey, come on in, and he, um, and he prays to the Lord. You know, that, that's his first instinct is to go to prayer. And then, he, and then his next instinct is actually just as good. Which is he? He calls in Isaiah. So it's almost like if you or I have have this great challenge. What's the first thing we should do? Well, we go to the Lord in prayer, and we look to His Word. I mean, that's what I, that's essentially what Hezekiah is doing. So Hezekiah responds in almost the opposite way that Ahaz responds. But okay, that's that's all. We're gonna get to that. But the point I want to actually make here is that's where we're going. And twenty-eight to thirty-five gives us kind of the theological uh, principles that are at stake in the Ahaz situation and in the Hezekiah situation. so so it's a it's a kind of summary this section is a kind of summary of all the practical issues that have been introduced up to this point in Isaiah's ministry and all the practical issues that are going to be, you know, Played out when Hezekiah arrives on the scene. So, this is this can, these woes are a kind of condensed description of what the people under Ahaz's reign are doing wrong and what they have failed to understand. But it also serves as a kind of uh, road map to say, then this is what they should do. So, if you think about um, warnings. Uh, they always function in this way, right? If, if you're told, don't do this, well, uh, you know, one of the ways you can understand that is you're avoiding something, but you're avoiding something by doing something else. And so that, that's that's how these function. It's this sort of, don't do this, woe unto you for doing this. It's going to summarize all of it in these chapters. And the implication, if you have ears to hear, it, and you're really paying attention to Isaiah's ministry, the implication is, okay not supposed to do that, we I'm not supposed to react to opposition that way, the kind of Ahaz way, then, then then, what's the alternative? And Hezekiah is going to show us an alternative. He's not a perfect king, but he's very godly, and, and, and when the chips are down, at the moment where it really, really counts, um, Hezekiah does the right thing. So, let's try to, what we want to do then, basically, is try to figure out, in these woes, um, what what are the big issues? You know, if it, it, I, I love these sections because it's sort of like a review section in a textbook. Like, if you didn't get it up to this point, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna summarize it for you, and that's that's what's happening in these chapters. If you didn't if you didn't get it, if you weren't tracking, if you you know missed some of what Isaiah was trying to say, he's gonna give it to you really clearly in these woes so you know what you're supposed to do to apply it. Does that make sense? So a whole long setup, but I think it's uh, important. All right, so let's look at these woes. Let's look at how they set things up and and what the, what the issues are at stake. And I'll try to kind of keep track of some of these issues. And my goal, I don't know if it's going to happen, but my goal would be, because we can't read through, every, we're not going to read through every verse, um, unfortunately, in these chapters, but at least kind of capture some of the big, the big issues, see the structure, and then you know, as usual, and you can come in and clean it all up and, and tell you know correct all my my mistakes. Alright. So so let's start with 28. There's a, there the situation here in 28. First is this northern kingdom. It's called Ephraim here. Sometimes it's called Israel, uh, but here it's called Ephraim, the northern kingdom. What has the northern kingdom done wrong? Well, uh, what the northern kingdom has done wrong is they have they're 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 essentially uh, uh, described uh, in in two ways. They're they're described as there are all kinds of images of drunkenness used for Ephraim. You see that Um, in uh, let's see in well in verse seven. Verse 3, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Uh, verse 7, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. Uh, they are swallowed by wine. They st- stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving uh, judgment. Uh, so that's the main image that's used. There's also an image here of pride. One of the things that you can't miss in Isaiah, I tried to emphasize it whenever, whenever it's appeared and it appears... All the time is that the great enemy, this is true in the whole Bible, the great enemy of God's people, the greatest uh challenge we always face is is pride. And you know, sometimes when I'm traveling, people ask me, there'll be a QA or something, what's the greatest problem that the church faces? And you know, I I know what they mean. They they want specific things and culture, cultural things, and, and that's fine. But, but, but I always want to start by saying, well, according to the Bible, the biggest problem we face is, is with our own pride. Because think of all the way that, ways that manifest itself just in Isaiah. Pride can manifest itself in the way that Ahaz manifests it, where he is unwilling to listen to the Lord. Um, he's unwilling to humble himself and get a sign from the Lord. Or it can manifest itself in thinking that you can flout the Lord's commands and, and not be judged for it. Or or that you can face a challenge in your own strength without turning to the Lord. Like I said, there's a million ways it can it can show its face. And the New Testament talks about a number of them anxiety and conflict. I mean, these are all symptoms of pride. But but that's Ephraim at this point. So I'm gonna just put this up there. Ephraim. The images are. Drunkenness and and pride, and I want to kind of put this in quotes because it's not clear if the main issue is that they're getting drunk all the time. Um, I'm sure they probably were, particularly among the leaders, or that wouldn't have been a, a, a you know a really relevant image for them. So I'm sure they were, but that's not really what Isaiah's getting at. Exactly, what he's getting at is the fact that, so, so look at verse 7, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink, the priest and the prophet reel with strong drink, they are swallowed with wine, they stagger with strong drink, they reel in vision, they stumble in giving judgment. What, what's what's at issue is not just, you know, are they drinking too much, what's at issue is the fact that they're just kind of, you know, we might say, when we talk about somebody, we might say, he's just, He's just all over the map. He's, he's just unstable. You know, one, one day it's this, and another day it's that. And that's the idea. The idea is, if God's law is a line, if the Bible is a line that's really clear, just a straight line, they're kind of over here, and then over there, and then over here, and over there. And one day, they're, they're adding things to the Word of God, and the next day, they're forgetting things in the Word of God. And, 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 and one day, they're saying, God's going to help us, and the next day, they're in despair that God will never rescue us. That's the idea with Ephraim. So, what's God going to do? Well, because of this, they can't possibly teach anyone. Uh, to whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Uh, for it is to them, this is how they're looking at God's word, precept upon precept, uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And, and the idea is this, um, they're so unstable that they're in a situation where they can't even really read their Bibles with any clarity. And, and actually, this is a good kind of gut check because because you may you may find yourself in situations like that, you may say, "Does that characterize my life? Am I so up and down, so all over the place that actually, when it comes to the clarity of God's word, i can't even you know i, I, I can't even make sense of it anymore uh that's ephraim uh that's that's what their quote unquote drunkenness is about, and what what they say. What God says is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them, but I'm going to teach them from a people of strange lips. That's verse 11. Um, now, I'm going to, I mean, it's, it's always clear from the moment I start. I'm going to run out of time without, without actually getting to what I intended to get to. So, so, so we, we, we know that about me. Um, but, but I just want to make a little aside because it's, it's interesting. In, in verse 11... So he's predicting the exile for them. He's predicting, look, here's how you're going to be taught. Because you're, you're drunk, you're proud. You're going to be taught by a people of strange lips. In other words, people whose language you don't know are going to come in. Now, what's interesting about this is two things. One, if you look back to Deuteronomy, that's how Moses describes the exile. Moses says, what's going to happen ultimately is the people are going to disobey me for long enough that I'm going to bring in people of a strange tongue. And that's and that's gonna be a sign of judgment. That's the point. When you're when you're in Ephraim and all of a sudden all the people who run the local, you know, civil offices, you know, your new mayor, your new sheriff, your new uh, police officer, when those guys, when you can't understand their language because they're from a different nation, that's that you know, okay, here we are, we're in the exile. You know, even even if we're living in our hometown still. So Moses describes it that way, Isaiah describes it that way, but here's the interesting thing, and just I'll just leave you this to to kind of think about. In the one, there's only one verse in the New Testament in which Paul gives a purpose statement, an actual, this is the purpose of, for the gift of tongues that we see in the early church. He only gives one purpose statement for that, and it's a quotation from this verse. So what Paul says and you know, this is—we can get sidetracked here really easily. But what Paul says is that—that that actually, that's—that's that's kind of Paul's way of understanding biblically what's happening in 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 the early church with the gift of tongues. That this is this is a kind of way of God showing uh, where they are in redemptive history. All right, so I just wanted you to note that because it is quoted in the New Testament. You might even recognize that verse and think, "Where did I learn? Where did I? Where have I read that verse?" Well, you read it in 1 Corinthians. Okay. Now, that's the that's the the first people against whom he he gives a woe. The second is actually Jerusalem and Judah, beginning in verse fourteen. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you've said we've made a covenant with death. And with Sheol, we've made an agreement when the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood, we have taken shelter. And the Lord goes on to say, your covenant with death is going to be, um, is going to be annulled and, um, and you're going to, uh, you're going to actually face destruction. Now, um, let's, let's think about this a little bit, um. The big issue here with Judah is they have. Um, it, it's you could say it's pride again. I mean, because actually he says that. So I mean, we just want to almost underscore this. It's all it's always this, but but the way it manifests itself in in Judah is a little different from Ephraim. In Ephraim, it's just all over the map. They can't even read their Bibles. They're 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 just they're giving crazy judgments. In Judah, what they're doing is they're thinking that they can make an alliance with another nation that will kind of ensure them um, that they'll make it through whatever's coming geopolitically. So so they know the Assyrians are on the horizon, and and they're going to come in. I mean, that's what's going to happen with Hezekiah in 701. But, But they know the Assyrians are on the horizon, and so what they do is they think, okay, they're scrambling. What do we do to protect? And and what they're going to do is they're going to make a covenant. Ultimately, with Egypt, it's going to become clear. It's not as clear in this chapter, but later on, it becomes clear what their their mindset is. Their mindset is let's look to Egypt. And so this is um, this is it, it's such a it's such a human reaction. It's it's a reaction that that probably all of us have fallen into at one time. You you face a situation, you face a monumental difficulty, and where do you look? Well. Maybe you pray that night as you 're going to sleep because you forgot to do that the whole time, but where do you look you 're looking to other people you 're looking to other entities you 're looking to uh, in fact, in fact, the language of covenant is significant because, because it 's almost you know Israel was in covenant with God. in a sense, the, 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 the prophets say, "God is your husband and, and, and that means you 're married to him. And, and what they're doing is they're saying, let me find, I mean, put it, I'll put it in this language, let me find someone else to be married to to get through this. I'm going to join myself in covenant with someone else. And, and, and the way Isaiah puts it is you, you've made a covenant with death. And you somehow think a covenant with death will, will see you through life. And actually what God's going to have to do is he's going to have to annul that covenant. He's going to have to break that up because the covenant with, de- with death, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's never going to work. And and think about how you do this, too, in the midst of temptation. I mean, the dynamics of sin in our life are remarkably consistent. Whatever sin you struggle with, whatever things you... I can't, I can't believe I'm still, you know, not improving in this area. Um, whatever it is, it, the dynamic is... is Pretty much, it's pretty consistent. Which is, you face a situation, whatever it is—a temptation, a test, a challenge, difficulty, stress, whatever—you face it, and you believe the the lie that says I can receive blessing by sitting in this way. I mean, just give some 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 really obvious examples. I mean, you don't think it through this way, right? Most of the time. Sometimes, sometimes we do. But a lot of times it just happens instinctually. But, but so so let me give you a, a really concrete example. You're in a you're in a you're in a conversation with someone, and they ask you something, and you know that if you were to tell the truth, it would potentially it would just really kind of damage things at that point. So what do you do? Well you you tell a lie instead. Well, why are you doing that? You're doing that because you're saying to yourself. You know, not in so many words, but you're saying to yourself, actually, to, to lie would bring me greater blessing than to tell the truth. You know, I, I, can, I know how to bless myself in this situation, and it's through lying. Or I know how to bless myself in this situation, and it's through theft. Or I know how to bless myself in this situation, and it's through uh, cutting someone else down. Or it's through anger. You know, that's how I'm going to deal with this and and we don't process it in quite that way usually although sometimes we do i mean sometimes it's very high handed where we're like i know what's right but what's wrong is better and that's what i'm going to do but you know it doesn't always quite play out that way but that's what what you're doing in that in that moment um as you as you allow certain thoughts to take over your mind you're going this is this is blessing um what you're doing is you're doing nothing different from what Judah did, which is, boy, life is stressful. Let me make a covenant with death. Boy, this conversation is going sideways. Let me make a covenant with death. Boy, I'm losing control over this situation. Let me make a covenant with death and flip out. You know that that's that's kind of what's going on at, a, at an individual level at a smaller scale. Now Israel's very high-handed about it, but what God said is there's really only one solution to this. And the solution is I'm going to I'm going to bring about justice and righteousness verse 17 I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and, ha- and and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with sheol will not stand so you know there there comes a point with sin there comes a point with sin where the only remedy is, and, and, and it's a good thing actually, we should welcome it when it happens, but it's not fun. You don't want to be in this scenario, um, is that God just it rips it apart. And, and so you can't hide anymore because you've been exposed. And, and you can't function anymore because your way of functioning, no, nobody, nobody wants to be around. You know, whatever it is, the, 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 it's just it, it's just blown apart. And that's what God promises to do for um, for Judah, and and look at how he describes himself in verse twenty nine. This also comes from the Lord, from the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And, you, and you're thinking, wonderful counselor. Okay, that's Isaiah nine, right? When he promises to. Send his Messiah, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that Prince of Peace, another key theme of Isaiah, that Prince of Peace affects his peace, which is what we want, what we want to see. But he affects his peace first by means of this. You know, it has to get blown apart before it can get put back together. And and this is good, because the Lord is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Now, the next woe, series of woes, it, 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 this one kind of, I mean, commentators differ about whether this is sort of the same one or a different one. You know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's hard to say, but he, he zeroes in on Jerusalem, but that's the capital of Judah, so there's, there's overlap. Um, so Jerusalem, he, he, here's what he says, um, l- l- listen to this. Uh, verse 3 of 29, I will encamp against you all around. I, this is, this is God, right? I will encamp against you all around and besiege you with towers and I will raise siege works against you and you will be brought low from the earth you shall speak and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost and from the dust your speech uh, shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust And the multitude of the ruthless, like passing chaff, and in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts. And it goes on to say the nations that surrounded you, the next day it'll be like, this is what he says in verse 7, it'll be like a dream. Um, Verse 8, as when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he's eating, and and, and awakens satisfied. And, And so, what the Lord says to Jerusalem is, Woe to you for making a covenant with death. Here's how it's going to play out. The way it's going to play out is, you're, going, I'm going to surround you. And, and, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because you might, you might go on a few chapters and go, well, wait a minute. It wasn't the Lord who surrounded them. It was Sennacherib and his wicked Assyrian forces. But the Lord's in control of all of it. The Lord's using Sennacherib for this great moment in 701 BC. One of the great moments in biblical history. So, he says, you're going to be surrounded, you're going to be low, you're going to be at, you know, we we talk about sometimes when God deals with us, he breaks us down, and we'll even say something like, we we were at rock bottom. That's the language. You're going to be at rock bottom, I'm going to tear you down, I'm going to surround you with an army, Uh, but then I'm going to come in and actually deal with that army overnight. And, and and you're not even going to believe it. And you're going to wake up and say, "Did we dream that?" I mean, was it was were we wrong? But were there wasn't there 185,000 Assyrian military people surrounding us yesterday? And, and 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 it's gone. And actually, again, you know this, but the Annals of Sennacherib, you know, non biblical historical document, he talks about this. It's really interesting to read the Annals of Sennacherib because Sennacherib says, I have surrounded Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. You know, I basically, there, there, there's nowhere for them to go. Because he just took Lachish, and, and that was the sort of last remaining military outpost city. And we, we see the destruction layer of Lachish and, and, and you know, I've got Jerusalem now. And then, but then what's interesting is, then Sennacherib's um, uh, 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 annals talk about the fact that then he just, the, the, the army goes back. And, and you're kind of going, well, hold on a second. What happened to Jerusalem? Well, he doesn't really say because it's a bit embarrassing. Um, but, but the Bible tells us what happened, which is God defeated their, their army. And, and there are all kinds of legends in, in, in the pagan world that rise up around that. But anyway, um, the Lord has poured out upon you, verse 10, a spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers, and the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to the one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it's sealed, etc. And then, and then the, here's the issue. The, pe- the Lord said, because the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, think about this. So, I'm going to put Jerusalem up here. I, I didn't fill in Judah, but this is... Um, they've got Judah pride and... and Right, again, but here, um, oh, but here I'll put this in. Coming in with death. You remember what that is? And then this, this um, is is so significant because here, here's here's Jerusalem, and 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 this is this is directly applicable to us because Jerusalem, like he's just told them exactly what's going to happen, and he said it's going to be you know the Lord's going to tear you down. He has to, but. Don't worry, because when you're at rock bottom, he is, at, and it's going to look like you're just overwhelmed and rock bottom, surrounded by armies, then he's going to intervene and save you. But then what you read at the end, and this is fascinating, is he says, but here's the situation right now. I'm telling you all this, but you don't even understand what I'm saying. It's, it's, uh, it, 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 the Lord is, all, it's like he, he, well, he is, he's sort of reading their minds. And Isaiah is, is telling them all these words and then telling them, here's the thing, I'm laying it all out for you, but you don't believe me. You don't even understand this. This makes no sense to you. Why are they so blind? And remember, remember when God called Isaiah back in Isaiah 6, he said, this is, what, this is the way it's going to be, Isaiah. I want you to go to a people who are going to be ever hearing and never understanding. Um, and that's what happens right here in Jerusalem. The Lord lays out every detail and then says, you don't understand what I'm saying. I know you don't understand. You're, 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 uh, you, you've, been, you've had a spirit of deep sleep poured upon you. And he's closed your eyes with these false prophets and, and, and stopped up your ears. Why? Why why are the people of God hearing the word of God clearly preached and not understanding it at all? This is the answer. Because, verse 13, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So, so think about this. You can, be, you can be sitting under the clearest, best, most biblically faithful proclamation of God's word day in and day out. It can speak directly to your situation, actually with a kind of applicability that even goes beyond what we could get from preaching today. Because, I mean, this is like a tailor-made message from the Holy Spirit through Isaiah to, to them at that moment. This is what you're going to face in 701 with Sennacherib. But the point is, even today, we can hear the clearest proclamation, clearly applied, biblically faithful, and not just walk away unmoved. I I don't know. I don't know what that means for me. I pretty much forgot what I just heard. Um, And the Lord does that in their case because their hearts are far from him. They, they worship him, and remember, you remember Jesus quotes this right when he talks about the people of his day, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, they don 't know me they, they they say all the right things, they come in, they you know they, they they sing the songs, they they read the confession of sin, they sit in front of the preaching of the word, but, th- but they don't know me, and their hearts are so distant from me, and so what i 've done in that case, is I just made the word unclear to them? So you know, it's a it's a good wake up call because you might you might find yourself in that like so many of these things. You might find yourself in that situation where you go, you know, I just I don't know. It's just I read my Bible. I've I've talked to many people like this. Like, yeah, I used to read my Bible. I just open it now. And it's kind of I don't even know what I mean. What's the point? What does it even mean? I I don't know. I just I don't have. I don't have the energy to try to figure this out. And, and I hear preaching, it just this seems distant. Well, it's actually a judgment of God um, for people who don't know Him. Because it's, it is it is such a terrible judgment, isn't it? Because now these people are flying blind. They're going to go into the whole Sennacherib experience. And it's not that God didn't tell them, but they just they just couldn't understand. Because their hearts were far from the Lord. And he says, and then here's the other thing they do that shows their hearts are far from the Lord. Verse beginning in verse 15, um, their hearts are far. And and here's the deal with it: they because they have all these hidden, secret things that are going on in their life, and and these hidden, secret sins and plans and things they want to do that are really in line with what god's word says and that that is a telltale dead ringer 100 percent accurate sign that your heart your heart is far from the lord if you've got all this hidden stuff and 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 it's sinful and 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 and, and what does that mean? Well, you know, you don't have to be a great physician to figure this out. That means, according to Isaiah, that means your heart is far from the Lord. And, 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 and you go, well, I've got all these hidden things, but, you know, I, sit, I, I try. I try to open my Bible, but it just doesn't ring true, and I don't really care about it. And I listen to preaching, it's kind of boring, and I don't really care. And, well, well, yeah, that's because the Lord has given you a spirit of stupor because you're you're doing all that your heart is doing all these other things look what it says ah you who hide or whoa you who hide deep from the lord your counsel and whose deeds in the are in the dark and who says who sees us who knows us you turn things upside down shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should save its maker he did not make me or the thing formed save him who formed it he has no understanding it's like a little kid who who like puts his hand over his eyes and thinks that you can't see him then no 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 I, you know you could play that game but but that's what's going on they think that i mean we're talk, it's god He's the Creator. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He, he He formed you, and 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 you think you have secrets from him. You think I mean, we don't really have secrets from Google anymore. But but you think you have secrets from God? Um, you think God doesn't know everything that's going on? And and you, but you make these plans and, and you try to hide them from the Lord. And it's just it's just a, it's a putting distance between you and God. It's it's like moving your heart. Further and further away, and when that happens, then you're in real trouble because not only is your heart far from the Lord, but then even His Word, which is the, God, what exactly what you need, He 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 may well make it unclear. It, it's it's like what Paul says in Romans one. Um, so, you know you know how the the argument goes in Romans one. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes and divine power have been made clear. So that men are without excuse. They know God. It's not, it's, not, it's not there's evidence. There's knowledge. That's what it says in Romans 1. Everybody actually knows God by nature. But what happens? But, but, I mean, you, you grab someone and you say, you actually know God. They're going to go, no, I don't. I don't even know there's a God. I don't even see evidence for it. No, no. But Romans 1 says they actually know God, but here's what happens. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because there's always something they want to do. And, and so they, you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then it says... Therefore, God gave them over to unrighteousness. And it just spirals, and Romans 1 details the, 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 the symptoms of that so that we can diagnose it. But but that's that's the scary part, is that you suppress the truth. Your heart removes itself far from God, and then, and then God removes his word from you. And so you can't understand it. And that's where Jerusalem is. So Isaiah says, I'm going to make it really clear what's going to happen, but... You're not even going to listen. And um, what, a, what a terrible thing. Um, and he goes on to say, this is what, uh, but but the, Lord, but the Lord has actually promised good to you. And he's going to restore you. Um, all right. So, let's, we're getting very close to the time when people start. Um, so let's try to, I'm going to try to just make some um, broad brushstroke kinds of things. How does, this really, how does this really apply to them? What are they supposed to not do? Um, the woes continue in chapter 30. The Lord calls them stubborn children in chapter 30. Um, you, you're, you're rebellious. You're just like a child that I, I keep correcting. I keep blessing. I keep helping. I keep bailing out. But you don't care. You just go back to your old So That's what you are. You're like a rebellious child and, and um, look at what he says in um, verse 9. They are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. You know, it's what Paul says in Second in, in Timothy 3. That there's going to come a time when people are going to surround themselves with teachers who give them what their itching ears want to hear. You know, I, I like listening to this guy because it fits kind of exactly where I am. And, and, and the kinds of corrections he wants me to make are the kinds of corrections I already want to make. And so it's that, that, that's, that's what's happening to them. Um, they're stubborn children and they're going to be broken by me. But look at verse 15 of this chapter, of chapter 30. For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. What's the, what's the solution? What are you supposed to do if you find yourself in this situation? Maybe even now. You're saying, boy, I have secret life. My heart actually is far from the Lord, according to the Bible. I wouldn't have said that coming in, but I can see it. It's there. It describes me. said, What do you do if you're the stubborn, rebellious child? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, his repentance, really, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. We want horses, we want Egypt, all this stuff. But no, no, he says, what you you need to do is you need to return your heart to me, put aside all those things, and then just wait and see what I'm going to do. Just trust me. Because it's not obvious how you're going to get out of this spiral. And, and it won't even feel obvious when you turn away from it. You're going to say, well, if I turn away from that, then what do I have? Um, so just, just wait and see, because the Lord will... That, that's where your salvation will be found. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. It feels like the opposite of strength, actually. Um, but, but that's where your strength lies. So that's kind of the key verse of the whole thing... And and but look and look at how the Lord is posturing himself in verse eighteen. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. So, if you want to underline, I'm not a really an underliner, but if you if you're an underliner, it probably should be right. I think that's what you're supposed to do to be a good reader. I don't know. I'm not an underliner, but if you're an underliner, probably better underline fifteen, underline eighteen. Um, that's the payoff, right? That's how you get out of this. And the Lord is going to, he's, he's waiting to rescue his people. In 32, or 31, he specifically addresses Egypt. I know we're, we're running on long time, so I'll just summarize these last two things. And specifically says, you know, you're, you're relying on something and you're complacently, and in fact, he uses the word complacent again and again, you're being complacent. You think Egypt is going to save you. Egypt isn't going to save you, and it's going to become really clear that Egypt won't save you. You think you can count on them. It, 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 the treaty isn't worth the paper it's printed on. They can't save you. You're you're complacent, resting in them, covenanting with them, instead of resting in me, covenanting with me. Um, and 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 this is going to go badly. And then and then in in chapter thirty three, um, what what he says is that uh. Assyria is going to come in, but it's interesting because, because he gives a woe to Assyria as well. So, so you, you might be tempted at this point to say, well, the Lord's going to use Sennacherib to do this. Does that mean like he switched his favor to Sennacherib instead of his own people? No. Actually, he's going to use Sennacherib, but woe unto Sennacherib. You know, God, God does this all the time in your life and in national history, international history. He uses wicked people to carry out his his word, but that doesn't mean the wicked people are approved by him. It just means he's using them to accomplish his purpose. But woe unto them for doing it! And and that's a yeah. And he punishes them. And he punishes them. Yeah, and he wipes the Assyrians off the map. So so you know you 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 don't know any Assyrians today uh, because they're gone. I mean, you can trace things back, but you know there's not a they're gone. That empire is gone. Up. Thank you for, for all you, you do for us. Um, uh, Alright, so uh, just just maybe tie up some some loose ends here. In, in, in 34 and 35, he basically says, you know, you're going to be judged and then there's going to be a return. But again, you, you read all this and it's important to read because you see God's purposes in history being worked out. But you know the people who first heard it like, this wasn't a sermon that got lots of likes on Facebook because nobody even understood what Isaiah was preaching about because their hearts were so far from the Lord. But Isaiah lays it out the Syrians are going to come through, judge the nations, they're going to surround you, they're not going to defeat you. But eventually, you will be defeated and carried off, but then you're going to be returned. And he just kind of lays out what the next, you know, 150 years are going to look like for them um, and the hope that they have. Now, Let me zoom out for one second and just say this, because this is where we started with the zoom out. Um, 36 through 39, you're going to see it happen. And the question is, is anyone following the Lord at this point? And Hezekiah is. And so the Lord does a great thing through him. But the Lord still says, don't worry, the Babylonians are still going to come through, like I've said, and take you all away. It's not going to happen in your lifetime, Hezekiah. And he says... Okay, well, at least I don't have to see it. But the Lord's carrying out His purposes. But Hezekiah provides this great example, and then here's the cool thing. So I talked about thirty six through thirty nine. Um, but you know, uh, in the in the in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the the most important scroll is this Isaiah scroll. It's a complete book of Isaiah um, in in Hebrew, and um, and what's really interesting about it is. You know, some of the divisions that we make um, are just not there. So one of the divisions that we, that, like every commentary makes, is between chapter 39 and 40. Um, in fact, some commentators make a huge deal out of this, like a different book, basically. Um, but, but what's interesting in the Dead Sea Scrolls is the column that, that has 39 just goes right into 40 verse 1. So there's no break. I mean, they didn't have the verses then anyway, but it doesn't even go to the... There's not even like a paragraph break. It just boom, 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 39 and 40. And, and the, the great thing about it, it's a reminder just of how gracious the Lord is, is after you get through the Hezekiah section, um, look at what God says He's going to do through His Messiah. And, and now think about how blessed we are. 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare has ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She is received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries, remember this from the New Testament? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what's, what's really their hope in exile and before exile and still ours today is what God has done through his Messiah. That's how he affects the judgment. That's how he affects the salvation. That's how he protects, how he teaches, um, even even today. All right, let's pray. We're out of time. Lord, thank you for this clear word, this relevant word. By your Spirit, make it even clearer to us. Apply it to us. We, we were so in need of hearing these things today. please, Break us down if our hearts are far from you. And draw us to your Son, in whom is salvation and life. We thank you in his name. Amen.